Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a storyteller. He said no to a career as a vet. Once developed boutique hostels, now a journalist and communications director with his project, Witness Borderlands. We welcome the podcast creator, Rob D'Amico. I didn't know you had so much background on me. It's amazing what we do here at Beyond the Mic, Rob. Four years of your life since you started on the path of this story. It's a long way from Jalen Malin at the Lost Horse Saloon saying, quote, you want to do a real story? Do one on the old Marfa Sheriff, unquote. How has your life changed from that first moment to today? Wow, I've been to West Texas a lot more. <laughs> and I've talked to this crazy cast of characters that has just been so vivid in their telling of this iconic West Texas sheriff who falls. It's been a, it's been a long journey and a crazy one, but I've enjoyed it immensely. Your story has a four-term, 18-year sheriff caught with 2,400 pounds of pure cocaine, a drug smuggler, lead investigator for the DEA, a United States Customs agent, a defense attorney, and a muckraking journalist. How can this story get any more bizarre? <laughs> well, even better are like the ex-hippies from the border. Um, some just wild characters that were living just free in the borderlands, you know, down in Terlingua, Marfa, Alpine, and just doing a lot of drugs, listening to a lot of good music, and just having fun. So they're some of the best storytellers, actually, beyond the DEA. As a reporter... Every story has a lead, the details, and then the wrap-up at the end. With Witness, how do you format such a layered story? Well, in a podcast, you do it a little bit differently. You know, you don't start with an immediate lead and hook. You might use a story to kind of introduce the audience to the, the landscape. What's, you know, what kind of place we're talking about in far west Texas. So then you kind of also don't want to reveal everything at once. So it's kind of like this storytelling that introduces these characters that give little bits of information, and then they reveal more and more as you go on through the podcast. So it's a bit different than reporting. The process is all the same. I had to go out and dig and dig and dig and research and ask lots of questions and gather all the facts. So that's all the same, but how you lay it out in a podcast story is uh, completely different. Now, with this story that is known from the paper, known by people in the region, how do you format it so you can release a story most people know, but have people go, wait a minute, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, well, there's quite a bit of coverage in the Big Ben Sentinel, which was the Marfa newspaper. But, I mean, just a lot of the behind-the-scenes things that happened that led to this big, at the time, record-setting cocaine bust were never revealed. And uh, particularly because people, you know, in the near term didn't want to talk about them so much. We're going on 30 years in December that this event happened. So some people are a little bit more acceptable to talking while others still kind of want to bury it and, you know, just kind of pretend like it never happened. So it's, it's kind of a mix of those two things. But I think that also a lot of these characters, uh, these sources in this story, they know one particular part of it. So, you know, I'll mention something that happened with Robert Chambers, the outlaw, and they'll say, I never heard that story, but they knew everything about the sheriff. So I think that they're going to be surprised and, and hopefully entertained by the fact that it gets all woven together. Why do you have such a passion for storytelling? Well, I think uh, curiosity. 
I mean, you, you can't teach curiosity. And I think that I've always had a really lively curiosity and that's how a lot of people end up being newspaper reporters. So, you know, when I heard this, this tale that ends with a ton of cocaine and a horse trailer at the roping arena in Marfa, you know, this isn't so much of a whodunit or who really done it. And this is more kind of an exploration of how this happened. Something so fantastical uh, resulted in this small Texas town, how this iconic sheriff, you know, wore the big Stetson white hat and uh, carried his 45 and had a shiny badge, how he ended up in this predicament and facing a life sentence in prison. Rob D'Amico, producer for the layered and intense project Witnessed Borderlands, available now, goes beyond the mic. Rob, what makes the Borderlands so surreal? Well, you've got, of course, it's not all one place. You know, Marfa's fairly different from Alpine, which is different than Terlingua. But, you know, it always had, Marfa, for example, always had this mythical status of the last frontier of the West. You know, and it was true for quite a while up until, you know, cattle ranching started dying in the 1970s. And, of course, that's where Giant was filmed, right? And little bits of No Country for Old Men and and so forth. So it's always had this reputation that changed a bit over time when it became kind of a artist, you know, community after Donald Judd, the famous New York artist, moved there. So you've got that kind of fun background. Then you've got, you know, places like Alpine that are a little more, you know, stable. I don't know if that's the right word, but a little more normal. And they're perched right above the Big Bend National Park. And then Terlingua, which is where, you know, it's famous for its chili cook-offs, but it's where a lot of people go just to be lost and not found. So you get a lot of eccentric people in that area. So all these people, though, are kind of woven together in uh, the borderlands. And so they're interacting kind of mixing communities and that makes it really fascinating what have you learned researching this story from both sides of the border well unfortunately i've been to mexico gosh zillions of times all through my life all parts of mexico and i used to hop across the border all the time too you know i would just literally drive down there with my wife and like let's go into mexico and we'd explore like all the little border towns you can't really do that anymore (laughs) so uh, it's just too dangerous Although places like the, the, the key Mexican city in this story is Oinaga, and I did go there, but it was hard to do research there because it's hard to find, you know, the people that were around that witnessed that event um, in a foreign country. And unfortunately, a lot of the sources in this story are dead, uh, particularly some of the ones that would have made good Mexican sources. So unfortunately, I didn't get as keen of insights on this whole event from the Mexican side, but, but, you know, on the American side, I've learned a lot about the landscape and uh, just how harsh it can be, how brutal it can be and how these people adapt to it. If not thrive economically, at least, you know, thrive socially and and with their customs and uh, communities. So quote, when squints confront the morning glare and puddles in muddy roots, a way to freeze when wind rustles life to chimes and a distant table saw perforates their discord unquote taught you to write and who influenced your style <laughs> well as you know i was going to be a veterinarian uh but at some point i said i don't know if i want to just be under neon lights all day you know looking at dogs with worms even though i love animals 
So I just always naturally was kind of adept at writing. And when I got to college, I had to do something. And I thought, man, you know, I had those, those dreams of being the war correspondent, you know, <laughs> off in some foreign land getting shot at and having adventures. And that seemed like a career that could, could you know, lead you on that path. And so, but literally the, the art of writing just took time. I mean, and the one thing about being a journalist is that, and when you learn the craft, is that you have to write every day and you just keep writing stories and stories and stories. So it by no means uh, was my writing good in any way when I started, but, you know, with tons of practice, I think that I've gotten pretty pretty adaptive witness borderlands is the podcast it's available now in its host rob d'amico joined us beyond the mic and it's time for the rocky eight eight random questions answer with the first thing that comes to your mind there however is no pressure okay first bicycle you got and you still have it the first bicycle i ever got no i think it was like one of those little banana seat banana bikes or whatever they call them with the banana seat and the high handlebars. Not like the, <laughs> not like the ones that people deck out really nice now and, uh, and, and ride around like kind of like low riders, but on a bike. You've been known to float a river or two. What's the best river to float? Uh, I like, this is a really hard one because I, I like the Rio Frio, which is in Texas. And of course, Frio means cold and it's a lot of it's spring fed, and it's easy to float and it's picturesque with big cypress trees lining the banks and rope swings and great for a hot summer day. But by far, I haven't floated much of it, but Devil's River in South Texas, which is this spring fed river that just cuts through the arid desert. And uh, it's cold too, but there's literally no one around. I went there on an August day and it was 108 degrees. And I was the only person there. So I got naked. <laughs> <laughs> Things you find out when you go beyond the mic. How many animals do you have now? So I've got two dogs, Heidi and Jazz. And they're just kind of mixed breed dogs, but I've had numerous dogs through my life. Uh, and that's one of, one of the reasons I love having dogs, particularly kind of like reasonably well-sized dogs, not little yappers, is because I like going out to creeks and rivers and taking them with me and throwing the ball and, you know, doing flips off the cliffs and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. So what's the biggest fish you've ever caught? I never caught very many big fish. I, I fished a lot growing up, but I was with my grandfather and I caught a four pound walleye, which was, it was in Southern Missouri. So it wasn't rare, but it was pretty unusual to catch a walleye, uh, which kind of looks kind of pikeish, and, but it has these dark uh, soulless eyes. And I was so happy because my grandma was going to make tuna fish for dinner. And I hate tuna fish sandwiches. And she said, if you catch a fish, I'll cook it. And so I was so happy. But then my grandfather went to clean it and he dropped, flipped and he dropped it in the lake and it got away. <laughs> I didn't have to eat tuna fish though. My grandma took pity on it. What's the best way to cook a tri-tip? Oh man. So tri-tip is just so delectable. It's kind of this cross between a steak and a roast. It's a little bit steaky, a little bit roasty. And, uh, you know, I like actually grilling it just a tad and getting some of that smoky charcoal flavor into it and then just kind of finishing it off at a low temperature in the oven because it's they're quite thick. Do you have a best strategy to win at Catan? <laughs> you know, I, 
gather lots of wheat. <laughs> I've only played Catan um, maybe three times, and it's been at least three years. I don't even remember much about it. I just the people I'm playing with were really obsessively into it, and I was kind of like, it's it's okay. What's one lesson you want to pass on to Alex? So Alex, my son, um, the truth shall, shall set you free. I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, when you think about all the things that you feel responsible for as a dad and, and having a daughter or a son, it's just like this jumble of things where you're like, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. <laughs> but I think, you know, honesty is probably, probably the best thing I could want to teach him. How about the best album you own? Oh, gosh. You're just vicious with these, aren't you? No one expects a Rocky um, Nate. No one can prepare for it. <laughs> so I'm really into this band that now isn't together anymore uh, called The Gourds out of Austin. And they were kind of labeled as alt country, but they were all over the musical map. I would say their, their first album, The Gourds' first album called Dem's Good Beeble would be my favorite. And now the guy who was the lead singer is a famous musician in Austin. And he goes by shiny ribs. Witness borderland is the podcast. It's host Rob D'Amico joins us on the back half. You've written been a comms director at Texas AFT and once owned camp sloop, but you believe in separate vacations and once took a six hour car trip to see Maya ruins. What was that all about? Well, the camp sloop was just a kind of web enterprise that hooked up or that got parents onto an elaborate detailed search engine to find the best camps for their kids. The separate vacation things thing. I, I have to be honest, I ended up getting divorced. So I don't know if taking separate vacations <laughs> with your spouse is always the best idea. I mean, we actually had done that many times though. And we, we enjoyed it because you get away from each other a little bit it, to explore without, you know, your spouse there. Not that I was going to do anything weird. I'm just saying that, um, you get you feel a little freer at sometimes, and Mexico, but in the car, um, that was actually a trip I took with my daughter who loves Mexico, and I mean she loves the beaches, you know, like in Tulum in the Yucatan. But I wanted to show her some of the jungle, and so we rented a car and drove six hours, and then I think another hour and a half down a dirt road to get to some Maya ruins. She had a blast when we climbed the pyramids and looked out over the canopy of the jungle, and it was, it was awesome. What will surprise people about Witness Borderlands? I think that most people look at true crime podcasts and automatically think that who done it or who really done it, or sometimes they're looking for some of the, the more famous things of famous crimes, you know, like... Uh, heists on armored car trucks and things like that. This one is a little more subtle, but it, it's got some peak wild, crazy moments that, you know, are hard to believe. It's a collection of tales that, that center around this amazing story and, and a really a tragic one. So I think that they'll be surprised that it's not the typical true crime podcast. As you discovered these characters, all these people, did you ever fear for your safety or the safety of your loved ones? No, I didn't. Um, I, I don't want to give a spoiler because there was one incident that was a little bit intimidating. And uh, so I'm not going to spoil that. But, but most of the time, no. 
there was one someone that on a social media thread that basically was irate because he said I shouldn't be digging up the past and that you need to let the past lay where it does. And he basically told me, I know where you live. Wow. <clears throat> I'm not too far away from you and I'm going to make your weekend hell. So <laughs> that was a little bit off, but no, it, it was, there was nothing quite like actually in a previous time when I was a reporter in Bernie and I was uncovering a lot of bad things that the local sheriff had done. And his chief deputy came up to me one day at a chamber of commerce ribbon cutting and he bent over and he whispered in my ear and he said, I know what a, where to bury someone will we'll never find them. And all I could think of to say in reply was, where's that? <laughs> now this project of four years, tons of research, many stories are coming to light. How do you feel? You know, it's, it's gratifying to finally see it come to um, something that will be audibly tangible. <laughs> You know, at so many points, I started out saying, oh, I'm going to just do this as a long form piece of journalism. And then I thought, I've got way too much stuff. This really should be a book. And then a friend of mine did a successful podcast on a serial killer and said, This story, you got to make it a podcast. And so I hadn't really done, I'd done a tiny bit of uh, radio reporting, but not a lot. And so it was a new world and I'm, I'm grateful that I have such a great team that is there to kind of teach me and guide me along the way. It's time for one big question with Rob D'Amico beyond the mic. Rob, the war on drugs has been going on for decades with both good and bad actors on each side. What do you think is a future on the war and will you see closure in your lifetime? Well, there, yeah, this podcast also does intensely explore the war on drugs, its failures, um, and some of the, the tragic consequences of it. So we have a lot of that information as well. You know, unfortunately, the border is still dangerous in so many places along Texas, and you can't really enjoy Mexico there like you could. And it's it's been tragic for Mexican people. They've experienced the the most devastating costs from it. I think things have evened out a little bit. You know, we saw the cartel world go in, go from kind of an organized mafia into just a reckless, gory, violent uh, mess. And I think some of that is evening out a little bit, but, you know, corruption still rules in, in a lot of places in Mexico and it's still a very lucrative business and there's still a large demand in the United States for illegal drugs. And, you know, the fact that so many states now have legalized marijuana, I think is going to have some impact. You know, you look back and you're like, ah, in my day, I used to smoke this crappy little Mexican stuff with all these seeds and stems. <laughs> and now they have these elaborate boutique you know, shops uh, dotting the landscape. And, uh, you know, hello, my name is Fen, and I will be your spiritual and marijuana guide today. And, you know, they lead you on a tour of the, the place. So I, I think that will have an impact. So, but it's a little too early to tell. When this project is finished, when Witness Borderlands is finished, the story has been completely told. What will be the next story you want to show us? 
You know, uh, I've got some really cool story ideas, but um, unfortunately, they're not real good for longer narrative podcasts. So I may end up writing those. Then I might do, do something completely different. But I'm still so drawn to, you know, the crime element of things and corruptions. It's just so fun to dig into that stuff uh, that, I, that I might be just led back to there. Why should people listen to Witnessed Borderlands? Again, for these crazy characters, I mean, they say some things that are so outlandish and so funky. Um, and it's such a great contrast to these kind of by the book fed agents that we have a lot of that are like, um, you know, explaining how they were developing a historical conspiracy around this outlaw to nab a network of drug operations around the country. And uh, so they really get into it, although they say some crazy stuff, too. But it's just I think it's going to be, you know, better than some podcasts um, in giving some voice to a really unique place. Um, And I think it's a place that a lot of people in Texas have probably been, but people across the United States and around the world probably don't know much about the Big Ben. Once listened to true crime podcast six days straight for 10 hours a day. Always has ping pong paddles in Casey's Challenge by John McEnroe. We thank the producer and host of Witnessed Borderlands. Available now, Rob D'Amico. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here, Sean. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. <laughs>